Okay, welcome everybody to the weekly UK Sangha. Uh, we meet every week. Anyone is welcome to join these. Uh, we discuss the Dhamma, we read suttas sometimes, and uh, we talk about our practices, and uh, we learn from each other. So anyone here can is welcome. Um, beginner, intermediate, advanced, uh, whether you're deep in a pile of dukkha or you're sailing the cosmic seas of bliss and love, <laughs> anyone's welcome. Or if you're going, you're flip-flopping between the two, <laughs> erratically. <laughs> so if you're going from cosmic bliss to dukkha, um, uh, you're welcome here. And you might find some friends uh, to share your practice with. So I picked out a sutta for today. Um, it's uh, from the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, 149, and it's titled The Great Sixfold Base. And uh, this is essentially about the Eightfold Noble Path. And I think it just um, clumps it together uh, into a nice expression of the Dhamma. And, um, it touches on wisdom at the point of contact. So at the literal uh, six-fold sense basis. So um, the very fundamental building blocks of our human perception as we know it and how to relate to those experiences and the way leading to the end of dissatisfaction. So here we go. <clears throat> Welcome, Eric. Thus have I heard on one occasion the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jetta's Grove, Anatta Pindakas Park. There he addressed the bhikkhus thus. Bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied. The Blessed One said this. Bhikkhus, I shall teach you a discourse on the great sixfold base. Listen and attend closely to what I shall say. Yes, venerable sir, the bhikkhus replied. The blessed one said this. Bhikkhus, when one does not know and see the I as it actually is, when one does not know and see forms as they actually are, when one does not know and see I consciousness as it actually is, when one does not know and see I contact as it actually is, when one does not know and see as it actually is the feeling felt as pleasant or painful, or neither painful nor pleasant, that arises with I contact as condition. Then one is inflamed by lust for the eye, for forms, for eye consciousness, for eye contact, for the feeling felt as pleasant or painful, or neither painful nor pleasant that arises with eye contact as condition. So this is uh, this is getting into the the dependent origination aspect of sight um, and the Buddha teaches 
um, the arisal of vision as a codependent process between the eye faculty and the forms that it comes in contact with. And uh, through the contact arises um, seeing. And um, that seeing uh, create, uh, is the condition for either um, a painful, pleasant, or neither painful nor pleasant feeling. So when we see something, we either like it or we don't like it, or we don't care one way or the other. And um, uh, for someone who does not see this process as it's happening, as it actually is, uh, that creates um, craving and uh, that leads to dukkha. So we either like for some like something and we desire for it, we're attracted to it, or we don't like something and we're uh, repelled from it, and we want it to go away. And um, it it goes into detail with this process of the eye and uh, the eye contact and vision, but the same applies to all of our senses. And uh, we'll get into this um, as we go on in the sutta, but it, uh, the rest of the sense it, uh, senses it, it abbreviates, but it, it goes into main detail um, with the eye contact here. When one abides inflamed by lust, fettered, infatuated, contemplating gratification, then the five aggregates affected by clinging are built up for oneself in the future. And one's craving, which brings renewal of being, is accompanied by delight and lust. And delights in this and that increases. One's bodily and mental troubles increase. One's bodily and mental torments increase. One's bodily and mental fevers increase, and and one experiences bodily and mental suffering. Right. So, does anyone have any questions about that little section? Okay. Um, it you know I understand it in my mind as I read it. It makes perfect sense. Um, if something doesn't make sense. Uh, feel free to um, hop in, but uh, I, I can give my little analysis, but uh, I might not think of something to say to explain it if uh, you don't understand it. So if you don't understand it, please feel free to comment, um, but I'll keep going. Well, and, and okay, yeah, you have something, Eric? Yeah, something that maybe like I can kind of grasp, but I couldn't put it into words is that part about uh, really seeing like it's something that that tends we think to believe that we understand it. But in my case, it's kind of vague. It's kind of so, vague, vague, vague. OK, yeah, so that's the whole idea here. Um, with um, mindfulness and uh, the practice of the Dhamma, 
is that that's what it's saying exactly. It's saying when it's vague. So when the process of how seeing arises and, and liking and disliking, and uh, then uh, lust, infatuation, um, like trying to get gratification out of something or trying to make painful feelings go away. When all of this things that are happening in our moment to moment experience sensationally over and over and over again is vague, that's what perpetuates the suffering. So mindfulness or clear seeing is shining a light on what was kind of going on in the background. So what was vague and uh, unclear in our experiences, kind of just wispy little things going on, or kind of like, uh, it, it's, not, it's not really uh, focused on. It's happening, you're experiencing it, you're experiencing it, but you don't really see it clearly. So because you don't see it clearly, um, you believe that it's you. So the self finds its hiding place in the parts of our experience that are vague, if that makes sense. And when we bring mindfulness, when we look clearly at our um, moment to mo moment experience as it unfolds, the self can't hide there because it's not vague. So we're seeing clearly how um, how sights arise. So how vision is arising moment to moment. So um, you're making contact with what you're seeing and then an image is produced. And the same goes for our thoughts, our feelings, the body, um, uh, the smells, the sounds, all of the aspects of our entire experience is like this. And so um, bringing a full awareness to things, all of it is the training and the development. And that's the, uh, that's the Eightfold Noble Path. Um, so it's good that you see, recognize that there's parts of your experience that are vague or that the understanding of the Dhamma is vague. Because the whole idea is to recognize um, that there's things that we're experiencing that we didn't really pay attention to. And then to correct um, correct our, our, our goggles or correct the lens and bring those things which were lurking behind the scenes into full focus. And when we bring those things which were lurking in the underground of our experience into full focus, the truth is revealed. So the real nature of the th these things are revealed. You see, oh, they're just impermanent sensations. Nothing to cling for. There's no self in it. It's not going to, <laughs> it's not going to lead to the happiness I seek. So you detach, you become detached. And uh, when when you abide unattracted, so you're not craving for things, and unrepelled, so you're not trying to make things go away. Um, that leads to bodily pleasures and mental pleasures, uh, and that leads to jhana and the development of the full noble path.
Um, but I'm kind of spoiling the sutta. So <laughs> let me get back to reading it. Um, the Buddha said it better than I could. Um, Scott, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Ah, perfect. Uh, short question. I can't, uh, I can't, uh, I don't have the hand symbol anymore here. I don't know what's going on. Feel free to just um, um, speak out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in developing mindfulness, is there a perceptual framework that's helpful to develop it in a way that it doesn't produce uh, more, let's say, uh, agitation in the system or, or clinging or mm -hmm. uh, especially bodily tensions and things like that to keep the, the effort, uh, the, the threshold for the effort as, as low as possible? There's something you you experienced that yeah. uh, that is helpful. Yeah. So the framework here is the the framework that the the Buddha is giving us on the the, the dependent origination. So it sounds like that first paragraph I read is the framework. So it kind of it may sound like um, it's actually really simple. So the idea is that there's the eye. So the eye faculty. Um, we have an eye that is the instrument um, to to perceive forms. So the eye comes into contact with the forms. So the eye comes into co contact with what it sees. Um, it's pretty scientific, actually. Like I think modern science has the same framework. So the eye comes into contact with the forms of the world. And as a condition, as that as a prerequisite or as that as a fundamental condition, I consciousness arises out of those factors. So the two come into contact and create I consciousness. Like your parents came into contact, okay? They had a baby. So the, the birth of I consciousness is the 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 father is the I and the mother is the what it sees comes into contact produces vision and from I consciousness um, at that as a condition the feeling of painful pleasurable or neutral arises out of that so you you don't like what you're seeing or you like it or there's you don't care one way or the other like i would say like this water bottle is completely neutral i see a, be a beautiful woman on instagram i like it okay it's pleasant it produces that dopamine ah i want it i start to think about it i start to suffer from it start to crave for it or I see something I don't like. I see something disgusting or something or somebody I consider very ugly or something. I don't like it. <laughs> I want it to go away. And so the, they're just two sides of the same coin. Either way that it happens, 
it produces dukkha. So it creates lust or it creates aversion or it, or ill will. So it, lust is the opposite, is the just the other side of ill will. So when we don't like something, we develop negative emotions towards it. And we could say that that's um, ill will. When we like something, we're greedy for it. We're lusting for it. It doesn't have to be lust. Lust in the context of the Dhamma doesn't necessarily mean sexual. It just means uh, the desiring for something. So greed is another translation of lust. If you're getting greedy for the experiences that are going on, trying to get gratification from it, it just leads to more and more mental torment, more and more troubles in your own mind, and it just turns out very ugly and <laughs> and uh, takes you down a path um, that is the opposite of the um, Eightfold Noble Path that doesn't lead to Nibbana. So it just leads to the perpetual cycle of it all, of birth and death. So it, it says, it says here, um, and one's craving, which brings, so then the five aggregates affected by clinging are built up for oneself in the future. And one's craving, which brings renewal of being, so renewal of being. So it's what keeps bringing up the, the self. Uh, what keeps perpetuating the self. Um, and the self is the source of your suffering because it's only the self that clings or is averse to things. When there's no self, there's no dukkha, no problem. The cares um, and whatever. Yeah, that cares. It's, it's the self that cares. Um, is accompanied by delight and lust. So delight is just the same. Um, and delights in this and that increases one's bodily and mental troubles increase one's bodily and mental torments increase and so on so um does that answer your question or beta <laughs> um <clears throat> indirectly okay um um I, I, i'll continue with the sutta and uh, if anything else, if you have another, you, you reframe the same question um, or a different question, uh, please feel free to interrupt. Dean, maybe, you have some... maybe Veda, you Before were you... indirectly talking about uh, efficiency. Do, uh, do you direct this uh, uh, comment to me or to Scott? To, to you, Veda. Um, see, from an experiential um, level, for me these days, mostly it's an, an, an diving into seeing almost uh, very frequently even very subtle reasons for dukkha and the circumstances that led to that and falling out of it and then reobservation and 
coming into it again and I'm I'm looking for solutions to stabilize without stabilizing, you know? So practicing in those areas that are more hidden uh, without seeking seeking out uh, things that that solidify uh, the practice, you know, so that you don't delude yourself. And this process is sometimes uh, yeah, producing some kind of collateral damage for 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 uh, a, a certain amount of time. And in those times, it's it's pretty it's a pretty intense intense experience, and it can be quite uh, overwhelming. If you don't have, uh, if you don't have uh, people around you that are uh, practicing, yeah. So I just got uh, back from a family road trip, and uh, man, there was a lot, that was a lot of dukkha, and I feel better already now that I'm. So being <laughs> being in a car with your family for eight or nine hours, that's just going to cause a lot of dukkha and at the time yeah i can say oh um oh i'm such a good practitioner and i'll just be mindful but at the time it's like when you're experiencing all that dukkha um the best thing to realize is that as condition of the environment um um get yourself um as quickly as possible into um somewhere else where you can start to see things a little bit more clearly. So if your direct, so if your direct environment is is uh, is is uh, the culprit for a lot of dukkha, um, it can be skillful to instead of say, oh no, actually let me just keep practicing uh, with this environment and conquer it or whatever. It might just be a good idea to just change the setting. So seclusion. Uh, yeah, get yourself into seclusion and uh, get yourself back into a wholesome state of mind. And then um, um, if you need to go deal with your family again, you can go do it with uh, a different um, state of mind that you were in. So you're more equipped to deal with it. Well, um, were, were you going to say something earlier, Dean? Yeah, you said the bottle is look at the bottle. It's neutral. Is that what we're trying to see? Is everything is neutral, whether it's good or bad? Try to see it as neutral. No, 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 no. It's just that that's the way it is. So everything that we see is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So mm -hmm. all we're trying to do is not see things one way or another. We're just trying to see it. Is that not neutral? If you're not seeing things one way or another, is that not kind of a neutral? I would standard? say, I wouldn't. I would say um, that if you're talking about equanimity, that's kind of different. So if you're so so mm -hmm. there can be there can be an equanimity to whether it is neutral, uh, pleasant or unpleasant. So it doesn't matter if what you're seeing is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. You can still be neutral to all of that or equ equanimous to all of it. And 
the equanimity or the neutrality to all of it, so abiding unattracted and unrepelled, comes out of seeing things as they actually are. Um, so we're not trying to see things a certain way. We just want to see them clearly. Yes. And, yes. Don't think and attach to whatever they are. Yeah. So we're not. So so the idea is that when we see something we don't like, we don't try to fool ourselves that we actually are neutral to it. We just understand that it falls under the category of unpleasant. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Some things are pleasant. Some, some things are neutral. So it's when we don't see it clearly um, that it's just a byproduct of the causes and conditions that are happening um, to pr produce this experience. Then when we see something uh, pleasant, we lust for it and we, we, we go on a hedonic treadmill and we go over and over trying to get it and we never get what we want. Or if we see something we don't like, we um, do the opposite of that, which try to get rid of it. Um, okay. uh, but good, good question. Um, I'll continue with the sutta. It's going to get into the opposite, so the the full noble path leading to the cessation of dukkha. <clears throat> when one does not know and see the ear as it actually is. So this is an abbreviation. It's going to abbreviate all the other senses, but the same goes for the ear. So there's the ear faculty. The ear comes in contact with the, um, the sounds or the formations of sound. And then out of that process, ear consciousness arises. And then the same thing, uh, there are sounds that are pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Um, so when one does not know and see the ear as it actually is, when one does not know and see the nose as it actually is, when one does not know and see the tongue as it actually is, when one does not know and see the body as it actually is, When one does not know and see the mind as it actually is, one experiences bodily and mental suffering. So again, the mind, the mind should be considered to be exactly like the process of eye consciousness or smell or um, sound or your body. So the mind is an impersonal arising of things born out of causes and conditions. But most people think the mind is you. So you think the thoughts that you're having is you. Um, I think it's easier for people to understand that um, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes aren't you. They're just happening as a byproduct of the universe unfolding. Um, and then they think, oh, this thing going on with my thinking and the um, the process of my own mind is actually me. But the same goes for the mind as goes for um, the sights, the smells, the sounds. They're just an emergent property of it all, um, uh, of forces coming into play and interdependent things um, birthing other things. So there's 
the faculty of your mind. It comes into contact with um, what um, the mind perceives. So just like the eye and the forms, the mind comes into contact with what it can think about, and then mind consciousness arises or thinking arises. So the, the process is just um, an impersonal emergent display of the universe unfolding. So at no point is any, any thought, any aspect of the mind actually you. It's, it's the same as all of the other senses. And um, seeing that clearly uh, is very liberating and is very relieving because uh, you don't have to take personally or take credit for the kinds of thoughts that you're having. Um, and when you see it as it actually is, um, uh, it develops all of the Eightfold Noble Path and all of the all of the um, seven factors of enlightenment and so on. So again, the mind uh, produces feeling or vedana that is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, just like the sights. So there's thoughts that we like, there's thoughts that we don't like, and then there's thoughts that are uh, are uh, not one way or the other. Um, and to see this in the totality of your experience clearly is um, the development of the path, of the Eightfold Noble Path. So when one does not know and see the mind as it actually is, one experiences bodily and mental suffering. Bhikkhus, when one knows and sees the I as it actually is, when one knows and sees forms as they actually are, when one knows and sees I consciousness as it actually is, when one knows and sees I contact as it actually is, when one knows and sees as it actually is, the feeling felt as pleasant or painful or neither pleasant nor painful that arises with eye contact as condition, then one is not inflamed by lust for the eye, for forms, for eye consciousness, for eye contact, for the feeling felt as pleasant or painful or neither painful nor pleasant that arises with eye contact as condition. When one abides uninflamed by lust, unfettered, uninfatuated, contemplating danger, then the five aggregates affected by clinging are diminished for oneself in the future. So contemplating danger means seeing the danger in uh, the craving for things. Um, in any of the sixfold basis. Uh, and one's craving, which brings renewal of being, is accompanied by delight and lust, and delights in this or that is abandoned. So the delighting in this or that and the craving for it is abandoned because you see it as Dukkha, you see it for what it really is. It's not going to satisfy you. So you just understand clearly that it's not really going to satisfy you, even though you think it will. 
So that hot chick on Instagram or hot guy on Instagram for whatever your persuasion or gender is. Um, although it's a pleasant experience, it produces some dopamine or whatever. It's not going to satisfy you. In fact, the very acts of craving for it is what's causing your dukkha in the first place. And um, uh, so, and so, so, and one's craving, which brings renewal of being, is accompanied by delight and lust, and delights in this or that is abandoned. One's bodily and mental troubles are abandoned. One's bodily and mental torments are abandoned. One's bodily and mental fevers are abandoned. And one's bodily and mental and one experiences bodily and mental pleasure. So um, abandoning the craving for things of the world, in and of the world, including the mind and the body, um, leads to jhana. So it leads to real uh, bodily and mental pleasure, like actually experiencing bodily pleasure, like uh, sukha and piti. Like you feel good. And the the only the funny thing is the reason why you're craving for things is for the sake of feeling good. So it's it's just a trick. It's a trick that Mara is playing on you that uh, when you stop playing the game and you see through the trick, you actually get the reward of actually feeling good and you enter into jhana. Um, and you experience rapture and joy and pleasure um, mentally and bodily. So you're just experiencing a wholesome state. And uh, you really see that there is no greater delight than in the Dhamma. So um, doing that over and over, you may be fooled again by the, the things that you see that you like or don't like or hear or think about. But remembering again, wait, <laughs> that's not what I really want. That's not where oh, you try too much to understand the process. What do you mean? Or sorry, I didn't quite understand that. OK, um, so yeah, if if you try too much to understand the process, um, if I understood where what you're meaning veda correctly um that would just fall under the category of a thought um that you don't like so it's so overthinking something right those are thoughts that uh aren't really pleasant so they fa fall under the category of uh the mind and um it creates feeling and it creates lust or it will for it to be different so you don't like it or you like it and the only the only thing to do there is to see that whole process clearly as it's happening so that you um so that you're unattracted unrepelled to even that process occurring so it's kind of going meta but the going meta isn't thinking about it it's just being seeing it clearly being fully aware um awareness and thinking aren't the same thing or awareness and mind aren't the same thing 
so the process i don't want to i i'm not one of those people who make awareness into a thing or a field Mm -hmm. or something i see it more as a process but the process by which we are aware um and mindful isn't the same thing as the process of mind or the process by which we think about things so to decouple these two processes i think is what helps you see overthinking and not overthink about overthinking so just simply seeing it as a process an emergent process of mind um but let me continue with the sutta uh So yeah, one experiences okay, bodily and mental pleasure. The view of a person such as this is right view. So again, okay, Eric, it was uh, good to have you. Thanks for coming. Good to see you. Have a wonderful day. Um, so yeah, so um, right view isn't an, an opinion about something or you have a, a right viewpoint or you're you're on the I don't know if you guys ever seen the show The View. So you're you're on the view and you're just gossiping or whatever. That's not what right view means. Uh, <laughs> right view is the seeing clearly things as they actually are. So the actual process of viewing things clearly is right view. Um, the view of a person such as this is right view. His intention is right intention. His effort is right effort. His mindfulness is right mindfulness. His concentration is right concentration or um, concentration as a translation of samadhi or unification. But his bodily action, his verbal action and his livelihood have already been well purified earlier. Thus, this noble Eightfold Path comes to fulfillment in him by development. So, um, the purification of what you're doing and uh, your actions um, support the practice of seeing things clearly as they actually are. Um, and it's a development. Again, it's a training that, that you train and it develops. When he develops this Eightfold Noble Path, the four foundations of mindfulness also come to fulfillment in him by development. The four right kinds of striving also come to fulfillment in him by development. The four bases for spiritual power also come to fulfillment in him by development. The five faculties also come to fulfillment in him by development. The five powers also come to fulfillment in him by development. The seven enlightenment factors also come to fulfillment in him by development these two things serenity and insight occur in him yoked evenly together so i think that's the one most important line in this entire sutta 
um, right there. These two things, serenity and insight, occur in him yoked evenly together. So um, that's what's misunderstood in most uh, of Western Dhamma practices is that it thinks jhana and insight are different or serenity and insight are different trainings or different different like uh, aspects of development. But actually, um, it's all one training. It's all one path. It's one, uh, the path is has a lot of different things that come into play and it's very profound and nuanced. But um, the, fruition of the path leads to um, serenity and insight um, evenly coming together. So the peace and the the sukha and the rapture and the equanimity or um, any of the Brahma Viharas would be all, all under the category of serenity. So serenity has different types of serenity. It could be joy, it could be equanimity, it could be compassion, it could be loving kindness, it could be um, sympathetic joy, altruistic joy. Um, it could be um, come in different flavors, right? But the point is that there's ser serenity um, there. And um, insight would be the clear understanding of things as they actually are. So the insights is what uh, is born out of the clear seeing of things and the the clear seeing and the insight of things is born out of the serenity and the collectedness. So um, the actual development of jhana and the development of uh, things coming into a wholesome state and things uh, one who ex experiences bodily and mental pleasures, not born of anything in the world, or not born of any sankar formations. So ha be, uh, being happy with literally nothing is what jhana it actually is. Um, so with that serenity comes the clear seeing of things as impermanent and not truly satisfying and no true continuous self there. Um, that's the wisdom. And they are codependent arising. So the serenity and the insight arise as just like the eye and the forms come into contact. And out of that um, birth's eye consciousness, serenity and insight come together um, as condition for uh, deliverance or awakening. Um, there's no missing one or the other or only doing, oh, I'm doing insight now and I'm not doing serenity <laughs> or now I'm just only doing serenity. It doesn't really work like that. Um, as it, and, it, and, it, and this isn't just my opinion. It's, it says it over and over in the original suttas. It says it like um, it's pretty deliberate. Um, yeah, um, Samatha and Vipassana. Um, um, but I'll continue here. He fully understands by direct knowledge 
those things that should be fully understood by direct knowledge. He abandons by direct knowledge those things that should be abandoned by direct knowledge. He develops by direct knowledge those things that should be developed by direct knowledge. <coughs> he realizes by direct knowledge those things that should be realized by direct knowledge. And what things should be fully understood by direct knowledge? The answer to that is the five aggregates affected by clinging, that is, the material form aggregate affected by clinging, the feeling aggregate affected by clinging, the perception aggregate affected by clinging, the formations aggregate affected by clinging, the consciousness aggregate affected by clinging. These are the things that should be fully understood by direct knowledge. So that would just be the first noble truth, um, the insights of dukkha. And the five aggregates is just an elaboration of the first noble truth, seeing all the places which dukkha can be experienced. Um, and what things should be abandoned by direct knowledge? Ignorance and craving for being. These are things that should be abandoned by direct knowledge. And what things should be developed by direct knowledge? Serenity and insight. These are the things that should be developed by direct knowledge. And what things should be realized by direct knowledge? True knowledge and deliverance. These are the things that should be realized by direct knowledge. When one knows and sees the ear as it actually is, and true knowledge and deliverance is just another way to say um, Nibbana. Um, for the realization of Nibbana. When one knows and sees the ear as it actually is, these are things that should be realized by direct knowledge. When one knows and sees the nose as it actually is, these are things that should be realized by direct knowledge. When one knows and sees the tongue as it actually is, these are things that should be realized by direct knowledge. When one knows and sees the body as it actually is, these are things that should be realized by direct knowledge. When one knows and sees the mind as it actually is, these are things that should be realized by direct knowledge. That is what the Blessed One said. The bhikkhus were satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. So um, that last bit is just another way of saying the Bahiya Sutta or in the scene. So when one knows and sees the ear as it actually is, there are the things that should be realized by direct knowledge. So in the sound, only the sound or in the sight, only the sight, in the scene, only the scene, in the cognized, only the cognized, in the sensed, only the sensed. Um, that is the full fruition of the Dhamma and what um, is a byproduct of the realization of things as they actually are, and you abide unattracted and unrepelled, and you just experience your whole field of spontaneous sensations appearing and disappearing in a fantastic display um unaffected by it all and uh you experience um i don't know if you guys seen the the 
the the chart, the graph created where it says true no self and no center. Sorry, I, I don't know how to turn off my notification sounds. Sorry about that, guys. But um, um, the graph where it shows the guy looking at the bird and instead of it being like a self that's looking out or all of it is me or none is me, it's just sensations happening right where they are. And uh, that would be in the scene, only the scene and the thoughts, only the thoughts, etc. So you're just experiencing things happening as they actually are. And there's no self or there's no there's no center to your experience. Good question. Yeah. So there would be only a kind of a very rudimentary response in the brain to be able, let's say, to move in space in reference to the raw data or to speak or whatever, but it would be only in a very. I think you cut out there, Veda. So you're saying uh, only rudimentary. Can you? Uh... All right, so I think Veda's what? connection. Oh, I hear you now. OK. Uh, from from uh, where broke I, where did I broke up? So you broke up when you said only a rudimentary uh, response to environmental stimulus. Um, happens in the mind. So there is there is always this this uh, yeah very rudimentary part that's uh, still activated if you let's say do something, uh -huh. but always from a standpoint of in reference to uh, the unified mind as an operating system attached to the dhamma, and what the raw sense data. Are, Repre represents in this in this framework. So there is a congruence there, absolute congruence, and there is only something, let's say, happening in the mind if if you move your hand or if you say something or you react to something, and it's it's immediately stopping, immediately yeah, so, stopping. Yeah. So I'd say that's pretty um, accurate way to word it, um, Veda. Yeah. So it's just a rudimentary. So like um, it's not that there's no cognizing going on. It's just that when there is cognizing, it's not um, seen as you and it's just kind of happening as a byproduct of the environment that you're in. Yeah. So um, the direct environment and also you, it's in total congruence with the Dhamma. So yeah. um, every so in the state um, or in this yeah in this state for lack of a better word um yeah. everything is the dhamma including the thoughts your thoughts are the dhamma your yeah. the sounds are the dhamma your the sights are the dhamma the bodily um, sensations are the dhamma so all of it is the dhamma from that state so perfect um very beautiful wording of that Veda. Um, does anyone that that was the end of the sutta? Does does anyone have anything else they would like to say? Um, DJ, do you have anything? Oh, yeah. Um, just thinking on it too. It's very uh, 
can happen very quickly too like that wisdom at the point of contact or this is where like having uh salty sati cultivated can be quite helpful because it's very quick right and even like the the feeling tones of liking disliking not knowing that can shift like i mean even on the same same object or whatever you know or or perception like the way that one reacts to it or, or it can can change so that's an interesting thing to notice the impermanence in the feelings as well yeah um i would say it's really important to notice the impermanence in the feelings so to be able to be in a total shitty feeling and to realize that that feeling is completely impermanent um lets you stop perpetuating that feeling and when that feeling goes away it's gone and now here's some new situation <laughs> so it's totally impermanent right like you have to realize that's what seeing things clearly is is realizing it's all impermanent so you're not fettered to anything that you any one thing that you experience whether it be pleasant or painful so it doesn't mean that the arhat never experiences anything unpleasant um he just <laughs> He just experiences it as it is. See, it's impermanent and it doesn't create a self, doesn't create more desire, doesn't create more craving and doesn't create more the um, being um, that comes out of that. Um, but welcome, Caleb. Um, please keep your camera on, Caleb, because not many people are. Um, it's good to see you, man. <laughs> yes. Um, and Spurgeon, welcome. Um, good yeah. to be here. Um, I please I strongly encourage everyone who is comfortable with their camera on to put it on. It's okay if you don't have it on, but uh, I would prefer that you would um, for the sake of Sangha. Um, good yeah. to see you again, Dean. Uh, yeah, if, if you're in some kind of situation where you can't put your camera on, no problem. Or if you just, it's okay if you just want to listen. I'm not saying that you have to, but um, if you're okay with having the camera on, please do so. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, where were we? Do, uh, does anyone else have anything, questions to say? Caleb uh, Spurgeon uh, got here kind of late. We just finished reading a sutta. But if you have any unrelated, have any unrelated questions, uh, please feel free to go ahead. Um, I have a question. Okay, go for it. It sounded like you interpret the word being as the same as self. Am I reading that correctly? Um, yeah, I would say so. I would say um, they're one and the same. If anyone's writing something in the chat, I got to check it real quick. It's a, I don't think my chat window is open. Is there something, sorry, I'm I'm inept and I can't figure out how to open the chat and the video call at the same time. What sutta did you read? Oh, what sutta did I read? I read the um, Majjhimanakaya uh, 149. So MN149 uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi translation. Um, and um, I'm going to end the recording, but please guys stay on and just so we don't bore the youtubers but uh <laughs> um